Hello everyone, Derek Olson here to reconstruct the prehistoric past with you. In this episode, we're going to take a journey deep into Greek mythology to investigate the legendary Cyclops and the supposed Cyclopean walls built by these giant hybrids or supposed giant hybrids. But before we do, I want to let you know that I just uploaded a new video across all of our Megalithic Marvel's video platforms on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, etc. It's called Cover Up. And in this one minute video, I believe I destroy the mainstream narrative that says that the further we look back in time, the more archaic the ancients were. I provide some uh, video evidence I collected from Egypt. Uh, so find this video on those platforms or click the first link below in the show notes to see it and share it. Lastly, uh, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you like it, give it a five star rating and I will do my best to read your review on a future episode as a way of saying thanks. Okay, so let's get into our topic today. I'm titling this um, In Search of Cyclops Part 1. And this is going to be a two-part series. So let's start out talking about the origins of Cyclopean architecture. So the ancients believed that the megalithic architecture they beheld in their day was constructed by these hybrid giant demigods. Uh, this myth is preserved to this day uh, in the term used by archaeologists to describe these megaliths as cyclopean. This comes from the word cyclops. And a cyclopean architecture consists of massive, what I call megaton, polygonal blocks that interlock together without using mortar. They were designed essentially to be earthquake-proof, to flex and sway during cataclysms or cataclysmic events. While megalithic locations around the world, such as Sacsayhuaman in Peru or Giza and Abydos in Egypt, get most of the attention, the ruined megalithic constructions scattered across Europe, uh, like places in Italy, especially Greece, are equally impressive in their own right. Uh, and they feature incredible cyclopean architecture. And if you were a tourist visiting these sites, at first glance, you might not even notice the megalithic foundations and ruins uh, that are still left there because they've all been repurposed by later uh, civilizations, especially the Greeks that came along and built columns and amphitheaters and really other inferior constructions around and on top of the earlier megaliths. But as you look closer, you can begin to see and differentiate between uh, kind of the man-made mortar construction and then the megaliths that are mortarless. Um, and these megaliths are built out of softer stone, usually like limestone, which can deteriorate much quicker than, say, megaliths in Peru made of granite. Um, and the stone, especially in places like Greece, is much softer. So what you're seeing is a very more ruinous glimpse of what once was a precision original construction. Uh, again, megaliths made out of granite or andesite like we see in Peru. They're made out of a much harder stone on the Mohs scale of hardness. And so still today you can get a much clearer picture of what they once were. But again, the Cyclopean ruins in, in Europe, uh, even on places like Malta, Sardinia, they're much more eroded. So in Greek mythology, the Cyclopes were the giant one-eyed sons of the gods. They were 
considered like master masons, blacksmiths, metal workers, uh, and they were the craftsmen of the Golden Age. Europe's tradition of the Cyclops uh, are that they were the serious artisans who lived under the earth. Again, master masons and metallurgists who retained the knowledge of the early gods. And they are thought to be the builders of all the Cyclopean structures we see in Greece and Italy. Um, Timothy Alberino has a, a, a newer book called Birthright. And in uh, chapter 7 or 8, I believe, of his book, he, he kind of hits on Greek mythology and the Golden Age and um, this Cyclopean architecture. So I wanted to read this paragraph verbatim. Quote, The elites of the prehistoric world possessed and shared knowledge that enabled them to construct the megaliths. The megaliths alone bear witness to the knowledge that was lost in the great cataclysm. Megalithic ruins displaying the trademark techniques of Cyclopean masons have been discovered in all four hemispheres of the planet. The simplest explanation for the universality of the megalithic phenomenon is to assume that an advanced global civilization once populated the earth until it was utterly destroyed in a worldwide cataclysm. The general narrative relating to the commingling of God and man, the subsequent procreation of hybrid offspring, and sudden obliteration of a ruinous cataclysm can be detected in the written records and oral traditions of every primary culture on earth. There are so many parallels in the pre-flood legends of Mesopotamia, Egyptian, Greco-Roman, Mesoamerican, Andean, Polynesian, and Asians. It is therefore logical to conclude that these stories originate from the same source, end quote. So that's kind of an overview of the origins of Cyclopean architecture. Okay, now let's talk about some deeper Greek mythology and legends of Cyclops. So Titus Flavius Josephus was a first century Roman Jewish scholar. He lived about 37 BC to 100 AD. And in his writings, Josephus references ancient giants in several places. Here is a quote from his greatest work called The Antiquities of the Jews. Quote, There were till then left the race of giants who had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men that they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. The bones of these men are still shown to this very day, unlike to any credible relations of other men. End quote. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Notice in this quote how Josephus remarks about the countenances of these what he calls uh, giants, this race of giants, that they their countenances were entirely different from other men, so much so, so that they were surprising to the sight. Does this kind of point towards this idea of a cyclops that looks so different and, and freakish? Um, uh, Josephus also notes in another quote 
that the fallen angels uh, had uh, children with women and produced uh, these giants of superhuman strength. And he linked these creatures to Greek mythology. For he says right here, quote, The tradition is that these men did what resembled the acts of those men the Grecians called the giants, end quote. So there's a little uh, uh, history from a non-biblical source there, Josephus. Uh, the Greeks, we know, worshipped Zeus and the Pantheon. And, and the Pantheon was this superhuman group, right, that reflected the situation, really, that we see in Genesis 6, uh, as far as I can tell, where these giant hybrids are ruling the earth because they have superhuman abilities that really can't be matched by human beings. Um, so another clue is that the Greek gods are said to regularly mate with human women uh, to produce offspring. And when you start studying all the offspring in the pantheon, these guys are all basically giants, including Cyclops, or the Cyclopes, plural, who were the offspring from the union of, of a god, Uranus, for example, who represented the sky, and Gaia, who represented the earth. So are the Greek myths... And the Roman myths, based on them, really greatly modified events that trace their root to the fallen angels breeding with earth women to create the Nephilim as giants um, that we read about in Genesis 6-4 that talks about the giants that were on the earth in those days. Uh, many classical writers and historians, including Homer, Hesiod, Plutarch mentioned in their writings the idea that the Cyclopean ruins of Italy and of Europe in general were erected by this now extinct Cyclopean race. Uh, the Odyssey is one of the oldest narratives to withstand time, accredited uh, to Homer, and it was written about uh, written approximately 800 BC. And this text has preserved memories from an era gone by, an age of heroes. And uh, Polyphemus is the Cyclops found in Homer's Odyssey. And this one-eyed beast is arguably the most famous of his kind. And uh, he's presented really as like a man-eating monster. And he's an obstacle to Odysseus's journey home, who is the hero of the story. And uh, Polyphemus is described as follows in the Odyssey. Quote, Godlike Polyphemus, towering over all thy Cyclopes clans in power, end quote. Uh, so to, according to the poet, uh, Polyphemus was the son of Poseidon and the nymph, the nymph Thusa, uh, thus making him a demigod. And the hero of, of the Odyssey, again, Odysseus, uh, reaches the island of the Cyclopes during his journey home after the Trojan War. And he goes to explore uh, the cave of Polyphemus. So Polyphemus, this giant cyclop cyclops, is living in this cave. And um, um, Odysseus sneaks in. And in the lair of the cyclops, Odysseus and his men encounter uh, Polyphemus. And the cyclops uh, kills and eats uh, some of Odysseus's men. Uh, the rest of them escape. But Odysseus later returns while the giant is sleeping. And he plunges a stake into its eye, uh, blinding it before he escapes the island. 
in the works of the earliest Greek writers, again, Hesiod and Homer, uh, there's really two types of cyclopes that can be identified. There's the man-eating monster type, as we just mentioned in the Odyssey. And then there's another type that seems to be more represented as a highly skilled architect type. In um, Hethiod's work, Theogony, three cyclopes are mentioned. And it was these cyclopes who are said to have forged the thunderbolts for Zeus. Uh, in addition, they created the trident for Poseidon and the cap of invisibility for Hades. Uh, in later tradition, the Cyclopes are said to be the smith of the gods uh, and that they worked in the gods' forges under Mount Etna, which is an active volcano on the east coast of Sicily. So unlike uh, Hesiod's Cyclopes, later Cyclopes are said to have come from Thrace and were named after Cyclops, their one-eyed king. And these Cyclopes are credited with uh, construction of the so-called Cyclopean walls. Again, a term that was derived from Pausanias' description of the walls at ancient Mycenae and Turns in Greece. And in his description of Greece, Pausanias remarks that the stones used to construct these walls were so huge that only the Cyclopes could have moved them. Uh, so that's coming straight from a, a pretty famous Greek writer there. Uh, Homer's Cyclopes, on the other hand, again, they're quite different from Hesiod's, and they're presented as more of the brutish, uncivilized creatures. And they appear in the Odyssey and are described as creatures who practiced neither agriculture nor governance. Uh, here's a pretty cool quote uh, from Homer. Quote, they never plant with their own hands or plow the soil. They have no meeting place for counsel, no laws either, for the Cyclops have no ships. These creatures are even isolated from each other. Up on the mountain peaks they live in arching caverns, each a law unto himself, ruling his wives and children, not a care in the world for any other neighbor. End quote. So that gives us a little bit more of an idea uh, of what these uh, supposed hybrids were like. Uh, therefore, the way, the way of the life of the Cyclopes, perhaps even more than their physical uh, differences, distinguishes them from human beings. Right? They're living in caves. They're uh, really isolated. Um, now, while the Odyssey is the best-known story about Polyphemus, other tales about the Cyclops were written by later uh, Greek and Roman writers, the best-known one being Ovid's. And during the Renaissance, Ovid's tale about Polyphemus became really popular uh, theme in art, including paintings and literature and music. And uh, incidentally, the word cyclops, again, plural is cyclopes, it translates as round eye or circle eye. And um, though there are scholars who believe that this name is derived from an older word, uh, basically, that means sheep thief. Now, I've got to point out in this whole discussion of Cyclops, uh, again, there's many scholars and people who have the opinion that this myth all just boils down to uh, the discovery of prehistoric mammoth skulls 
um, that the ancients found, um, you know, where there's just what would look like a big one-eyed um, indentation in the center of the forehead where the trunk would come out. So people just kind of use that as, hey, that's all the Cyclops was. Um, and maybe it was, but maybe it wasn't. Because uh, in part two, we're going to talk about some uh, possible Cyclops uh, discoveries uh, of bones that were found. So to conclude part one of this two-part series, I ask this question. Was Cyclops a literal one-eyed hybrid giant of the prehistoric past? Or was he symbolic of the lost knowledge that the megalithic builders possessed in ages past? Again, stay tuned for part two coming soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey, before you go, be sure to check out my last uh, podcast episode where I was interviewed by the guys from the Blurry Creatures podcast on the fascinating topic of the red-haired giants of Lovelock Cave and the many Mount Shasta mysteries. Uh, I'll link that one below in the show notes as well, and I'll see you over there. Until next time, keep exploring.